Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Table Rush Talk Show. I'm Misha, your host, and today I'm thrilled to have Payman Lorenzo with us. Payman is not just the creator of the Leaders with a Heart podcast, but also a story of transformation and inspiration from a shy individual to a charismatic podcast host and coach. Payman's journey is nothing short of remarkable. Today, he'll share his unique insights on connecting people, the magic of podcasting, and how embracing your true self can lead to unexpected success. So let's dive in and discover the power of connecting and growing through podcasting with Payman Lorenzo. You know when someone is selling from stage and at the end, the audience gets up and rushes to the back of the room to buy? That's a table rush. My name is Misha Z, and the Table Rush Talk Show is all about bringing you the tools, strategies, and tactics that you can use to grow your audience and inspire them to buy. Welcome, everybody, to the Table Rush Talk Show. I'm your host, Misha, and I am so excited to have today with me Payman Lorenzo the host of the Leaders with a Heart podcast and YouTube channel. Um, let me just say that you're prolific right now with your interviews. Um, so everybody needs to go to Listen with a Heart YouTube channel right away and just look at all the amazing interviews. But anyway, um, the Leaders with a Heart uh, podcast and YouTube channel is uh, more than a podcast or a YouTube channel. Your vision is to build a community which brings together and connects ethical entrepreneurs who are building business with, with a heart, a mission, and a purpose. And the dream is to inspire other entrepreneurs to do the same. You've written some books as well, yes? Yes, sir. I think, uh, right, we were chatting literally a minute before I did this introduction, and you said, I think uh, you're working on book number four or some such thing. That's correct. Two books as a contributor and a multi-authored book. And now working on my second book, which is showcasing some of the most inspiring, empowering, and goosebump-inducing stories from three years and 300 episodes on my podcast. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting. And theme of the book is, what is your gift? And how are you sharing it around you and around the world in this lifetime? Love it. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, I am looking at Amazon right now, Amazon Prime, the Leaders with a Heart a book. Uh, V1, I guess. Yeah, there it is right there. Uh, global entrepreneurs creating massive impact. And I love your little tagline on here. It says, these are, there are powerful stories and there are inspiring stories. Then there are goosebump inducing stories that are both inspiring and powerful. And, um, you've pulled 20, uh, stories from at the time. What mm -hmm. were 220 interviews? Yes. Yes. That and was then, a year ago. That was launched uh, exactly on Friday, September 30th of last year. And it was very successful, reached a highly coveted rank of number one bestseller in multiple countries and 19 or 20 categories within the first day of being launched. So I'm tremendously grateful for the hard work that the team, the publisher, and all the contributors put in to make that happen. And now we're looking to take that to the next level. Now with volume number two, which is releasing in uh, on on Thursday, uh, January twenty fifth of twenty twenty four. Awesome, January fifth, twenty twenty four. Book January twenty fifth, January twenty fifth. Yes, two thousand twenty four. Book number two and another twenty stories. Around that, yes, 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 yes. We're looking. Um. You, the other thing that I think is super fun about you, because we've had a chance to talk a couple of times before doing this interview, is that um, your belief in the power of podcasting as a medium to get uh, your message out there or your gifts out there, as you so eloquently were telling me earlier, you know, it's not a, even about a message, it's about, hey, how can we, how the power of being able to use podcasts as a platform to get your gifts out to the market and yes right that 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 you 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 i don't believe i'm understating that when i say that <laughs> no 
First of all, I'd like to say thank you for inviting me. It's an honor being here. We just finished a powerful uh, an hour and a half conversation on my podcast where you really open your heart, your soul to really get to know you as a person, as a human being, as a man. You shared some really touching and really personal things about your life. Really grateful that I invite everybody to listen to that when it's live. But uh, I love talking to you, man. I love your your uh, your vision, your mission, your you know, one thing you said at the start of a conversation about two hours ago, and that was when you wake up in the morning, you ask, how can I serve today? And I, I wrote it down. And another thing that, that you mentioned that I wrote down, which is very in line with what I'm doing, is your mess becomes your message. So yeah. so many things, you know, absolutely honored, blessed, grateful, delighted that we connected. And I'm super excited for this beautiful conversation on your show. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um yeah, and um, I, I just you know so many opportunities to go deep, but I I was struck by our very first conversation. Monica Kremendal introduced us, another podcaster, good friend of both of ours, and she said, "Hey, you two need to connect." She was absolutely right. Our first conversation, though, and and I do want to touch on this, and 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 I think. If we started with this, it would be a ton of fun, but we can see where this goes. But was you very eloquently or expertly talk about how somebody can can start a podcast and then use that podcast as a tool to grow their business? Yes, totally, absolutely. Yeah. So, so maybe break that down for me. I know this is a very broad question, but but talk to that a little bit. Like like like, how can somebody do that? That's a, that's a very big question. That's something I've been talking about for the last three years. So the gist of it, for me, podcasting, I'm very passionate because podcasting completely transformed my life. You know, we just did part one. We'll do part two on my podcast next week. And the last question I ask all my guests, and that's my favorite question to ask, and that is, what is the smallest thing you've done that has had the greatest, deepest, most profound effect and impact on both your life and business? And for me, the answer is unequivocally, starting my podcast because that single decision completely changed my life. Forget about the financial aspect. As I told you, I used to be extremely painfully shy. I used to be self-conscious because, hey, I'm not a celebrity. I don't have a PhD. I'm, uh, I was even very self-conscious because I have a big nose. I have no air. You know, all this insecurities that we all have, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, these were some, some of the things that were holding me back. But then I realized it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about your message, your gift. And the way that you can leverage that to, podcast, to podcasting is when you start a podcast, don't just talk about, it's what I teach in my academy to my students. Rule Not even rule number one, rule number zero, never speak from a script. Don't even speak from here, but speak from here. Because when you speak from here, that's when the, the, the magic happens. That's when people will really pull the guards down, open up to you, build that trust, that confidence. They can resonate with you. They can get to know you as a person, as a human being, because what is business at the base? It's not a numbers game. I know you're a numbers guy. Sure, numbers matter, but ultimately, business is a relationship nurturing process. By you being completely vulnerable, opening up, and sh sharing who you are, it's going to attract automatically, magnet magnetically, your ideal clients. And this is what I've been doing. It's what changed my life. Use a podcast, you know that the traditional way to monetize a podcast or YouTube channel is to, okay, build a massive audience and make your money through sponsorships, ads, and downloads. That's nice, but that applies mostly to celebrities or people with massive existing audience. When I started, I had an audience of zero. Zero. I'm not a celebrity. I don't have a PhD. I don't have nothing. And Let yeah. me ask you a question. Yeah. Start date, first time you, when did you start your podcast? Like episode number one. Three years ago, exactly three years ago to the day. Um, so for me, I found a way how to monetize a podcast a different way. By uh, And I will tell you the story after, but the way I've been able to do is just, you know, sharing my story, becoming authentic, sharing exactly what I am. And then from a business aspect perspective, it, identify who's my ideal client, identify who they are. And just inviting them, interviewing my prospect on my podcast. Because when I started by applying this method, I was able, the first weekend I realized this, I was able to get six paying clients within the first weekend. And then over the next 10 months, 60 clients, high ticket clients, no cold calling, no spamming, no cold email, no ads, ad spend, 
and all of that with a YouTube channel of less than 200 subscribers. When I say that to people that are, I know a lot of YouTubers here that are massive audiences. Whoa, how are you monetizing your podcast? So, well, my podcast has been monetized traditionally through, through YouTube for a year and a half. I haven't seen a single penny from it because my YouTube channel is still at standing as of today, Friday, October 20th at 9.16 a.m. here in Asia at only 1,323 subscribers, which is absolutely nothing if you want to monetize a traditional way. But I found a way to monetize it with a YouTube channel of less than 200 subscribers. Again, by identifying my ideal clients, prospects, and interviewing them. And on the interview, I don't sell, I don't pitch, I just build that connection, that 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 report by being vulnerable, by by sharing who I am really, and allowing them to, to open up the heart. When you open up the heart, then there's no need to, for both of you, you connect heart to heart, man to man, woman to woman. There's no need to, to pitch, to sell, as I like to say in a funny and cheesy way, I told you. No need to seduce or kidnap someone to do business with them. Hey, what do you do, uh, Misha? Oh, I help... Uh, Entrepreneurs get more visibility, for example, or, or share, share a message. Hey, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Can you help me? Sure, let's have a time to talk. In that, when you build that trust and rapport, there's no need for you to, to pitch, send proposals, or you know, convince, get on a discovery call, a God forbid, and a, and, a, and a sales call. Who wants to get on a sales call? Nobody. But instead, hey, let's have a conversation, get to know you. I have nothing to sell you, just get to share your story. By identifying ideal clients, by inviting your ideal clients on the podcast, interviewing them, to build a trust report, that's where the magic happens. This is the gist of it, a very high level, what I've been doing, what changed my life, how I built my podcast from zero to 300 episodes in, in three years' time, and got into publishing, built my business, completely get back on my feet financially, but also reinvent myself because, again, I was painfully shy. I was jumping you know, from one business to another, you know, chasing the next shiny object but now i found my voice i found my purpose and that's and this price this is invaluable for me the two most beautiful powerful uh you know benefits of business is are number one the impact i'm having in the lives of people i work with and number two the beautiful friendships and relationships i build in the process the money is icing on the cake the previous version of me the un unawakened version of me was it's all about money 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 but that's not good especially once you become awakened once you get see things at a higher level then you realize that, hey, it's all about just like you said, I love what you said earlier. How can I serve today? How can I help? How can I serve? I can make you shine. When you build your business, your approach around that, then the money, I swear to you, Misha, money takes care of itself. Money manifests itself in a, in a, in a, in a magical way. I've seen it in my life. It's not cheesy. I'm sure you've seen it in your life as well. And people that will listen to this will resonate as well because they're all heart-centered. They're not just profit-driven. Sure, we only to make money, but let's do so in a way that is meaningful, impactful, and purposeful. For me to win doesn't mean I have to, to screw you. I have to, you have to lose. I have to win. No, I win. You win. He wins. She wins. We all win. Because if I win, you don't win. We're not going to talk again. Let alone do business again. But if I win and you win, see, for me, the people I invite on my podcast—they're not just the guests. The clients I get to my podcast—they're not just a line on the spreadsheets. We become friends. We get on calls. Hey, how's your mother? How's your father? How's your brother, sister? Just like you would catch up with so-called real friends because these are real people, real real people having real conversation and real meaningful, deep connections. You know, I went on a big tangent. As you can see, I'm very passionate. I didn't talk too much, so I'm going to shut up. I, I hope this answered your question. Amazing. Yes, and that's what I was hoping for, actually. I wanted, I wanted the audience... And you listeners to get a feel for for Payman's passion. And um I, I, I guess a question I would have for you is when you went to start your podcast, did you have an agenda with it or did you know what you were trying to do when you started your podcast? Or yeah, go ahead. Great question. Uh when I started, I had no agenda, no purpose. Uh I started for two for one reason, you know. I'm from Canada, Toronto, and during the pandemic, Canada was one of the strictest countries in terms of restrictions. We live in a small town outside of Toronto, thank God, it's in the countryside. So half the year you're frozen, and the rest of the year you're locked inside. So I had to find something to do. I don't watch TV, and there's so many books you can read and listen. I've been consuming podcasts since they first came out back in 2006, 7, whatever. I've been involved in podcasts, you know, as a co-host before. My background is e-commerce. I lived in China, built and sold a, a, a brand uh, on Amazon. So this is this. I was doing a podcast with Amazon as a course with seven-figure sellers. I used to host events, conferences with them, speak at conferences. 
So when I came back from Hong Kong and China, back in Canada, I asked myself, what the hell can I, what the hell can I do that's going to allow me to do the three things I love most, which is helping people, inspiring people, and connecting people. That's where my podcast was started. But at the time, I wanted to launch a, a brand of products on a crowdfunding Kickstarter website. So I, I my initial goal was to build an, an, an audience to launch my product. But because it was a pandemic, I couldn't find anybody to make it. I didn't want to do it in China for various reasons. I looked into Mexico. I looked into Italy. I looked into India. I looked into other places, but nothing was happening because the logistics were completely shut down worldwide. Maybe that was a message from the universe. Hey, that's a great idea, but put it on shelf. So, but because I was bored and there's nothing else to do, I was having this wonderful conversations all day long from the moment I woke up from basically from nine o'clock in the morning to basically passing out at 10 o'clock at night, having six, seven, eight, ten 10 conversations, Zoom calls with people, doing th three, four, five podcast episodes. My podcasts are long, about an hour, an hour and a half. We just did one for an hour, 17 minutes. And that's only part one. Yes. So I was having all this conversation and, and indirectly, you know, it's funny, you can plan things, but more, more times than not, it never goes the way you plan things. The universe unfolds you, you your true direction. So I was doing this conversation. I was, I don't know, I didn't realize at the time, I was attracted to heart-centered entrepreneurs. I've always been very heart-centered, very about helping, inspiring, and empowering people. I was talking with all these heart-centered spiritual people, and I, tend, I, I started to say, I love these people, I love this conversation. And that was, in a way, podcasting played a massive role in my own awakening. Prior to the pandemic, if you ask me about spiritual, say, stay away from me. You're a cuckoo, whatever. Stay away. Don't waste my time. But now you're heart-centered. I welcome you with open arms. You're my, you're my crowd. You're my tribe. So in that way, podcasting completely saved my life because I was bored. There's nothing to do. You know, and it, it helped me in a way save my sanity. Because what else do you want to do? You, you st After you're frozen... It can get very cold in Canada from uh, from right now, mid-October to pretty much May. It can snow. Uh, and so we have to find something productive. So at first, I had no idea. I wanted to initially, yes, start a podcast to build an audience for my upcoming launch of my crowdfunding campaign. But then once I realized this is not happening, but I was enjoying talking because I, I like talking in a way. And in a way, podcasting allowed me to overcome my shyness. I told you I was painfully shy, but by being in front of the camera, I told you I was also very self-conscious. I have a big nose, no air. So I was shy because camera shy. But then I said, you know what? Who cares? It's not about me. It's about the message. And this is one of the most powerful decisions I came across is it's not about you or me, Misha, but it's about your message, your gifts, your lessons. This is what we are here. I told you earlier when we when we talked, you know, we all go through a fair share of pain, tragedy, dark heart, and all that. They hurt a lot when we go to them, but then they become our story. Then our story becomes our gift. Then our gifts become our duty and responsibility. Sure, we all know that life is a school. We come here to learn, grow, and become wiser. But from my humble understanding, that's only 5% of why we are here. The 95% is taking those gifts, those lessons, those wisdoms, and sharing them with others so we can all collectively rise to whatever means is more comfortable and convenient and natural for you. For me and you through podcasting, also for me through publishing. For someone else, it might be through music, through painting, uh, through arts, through uh, sports, dancing, whatever. Find your outlet and share your gifts. That's one of the most powerful realizations I came across over the past few years. Again, I went way out in tangent. <laughs> I'm the tangent king. I, I should start a podcast <laughs> just the tangent king. Seriously. It's amazing. We're kindred spirits. Does that answer your question? What was the question <laughs> <Yes>. again? <laughs> no, yeah, I know, right? That's amazing. So quickly. Um, okay. Keyword so being three quickly. Years okay. of, oh, what's that? <laughs> Keyword being quickly. Okay. Quickly. I'll keep it right. No, no, go, 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 yeah. go, go as you like. Um, so you, 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 if I heard you correctly, you'd had some success previously, uh, with some building a product, selling it on Amazon, maybe having a, like a, uh, an Etsy store or not an Etsy store, a no, Spotify store uh, or something no, like Amazon, that. Amazon, Amazon store. Amazon. Okay, great. And having an exit, it was purchased by, by, uh, by an investment firm in Hong Kong two years later. Yes. Well, that's amazing. And then you you were speaking on stages. Is that what I heard you say a little bit too? Or? Well, at first, because I was that's also one of the parts that allowed me to overcome my shyness. I used to go, I used to go to um, to events, conferences around e-commerce, and then I get to become friends with the, with the host, the people. These are very successful, seven, eight, nine, ten figure sellers, both Chinese and and, and uh, expats. 
at first I was just helping them hosting their events. Then I, I helped them host events for them in my city, in China, where I was living. And then I was asked to speak and I was hosting my own events. Also, I hosted events also on wine because I grew up in the southwest of France, close to Bordeaux. Wine is a passion of mine. I did wine tasting, wine education events for the Chinese. So I've been into events. I love, I'm a connector. I love bringing people together. I love making sure they have a good time. I, I shine into that. I went from being completely wallflower shy to being enjoying the limelight, so to speak. When I went to events, I was a life of the party. I, I really embraced that fully. Said, wow, I love this. Do you remember that shift? Do you remember when you went from yeah, go ahead. I think it's it, it was part of you know getting out of your comfort zone. In China, you find yourself in a place. You're surrounded with people, yet you, you will find yourself incredibly isolated because you're not able to read or understand anything's going on. Even for you to do the things that you take for granted, just ordering at a restaurant. The first night we arrived, I'm going to share a quick story that allowed me to overcome my shyness and, and be the, the, the catalyst for me. I arrived at the restaurant straight from Canada. I don't, I don't even have a SIM card yet to translate. Of course, I don't speak Chinese. The, the restaurant has only a Chinese menu. I want a chicken. So how do you... Convey the message on chicken. Puck, 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 puck. I just did this. Puck, puck, puck. One of my colleagues, he wanted some uh, some uh, seafood, some crab. So he just took a napkin and then just drew it. As far as side dishes, I just stood up, went around the tables of other people eating, and just started pointing. Tick, 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 tick. Hey, you gotta do what you gotta do to eat, man. So I think this was the the first moment that I that allowed me to step out of my comfort zone. Because if you look at things, why they happen. I think me going to China was one of the main reasons for me to overcome my shyness, to get out of my shell and become the person I'm, I'm meant to be. The mm -hmm. outgoing guy, the connected. For me to fulfill my role of being a connector, I need to be outgoing. I cannot be a connector if I'm shy and reserved. Does that answer your question? It, it absolutely does. So I'm curious, um, how old were you and what brought you to China? So you're, 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 your hand is forced. You're like, somehow I'm in China trying to order dinner and uh i've got no option but to uh do something that i normally be clown. Do and, yeah be, be a, a clown. clown yeah so how old how old were you well let me backtrack i've been a nomad a traveler all my life i've lived in 14 countries four continents speaking six languages so china was not my first audio so to speak okay. my father was a geologist psychologist traveling around the world so it's been in the family in the dna uh, i was 34 35 uh, I got a job offer. I couldn't refuse football. I grew up in, in France, Europe, and most boys in Europe, their dream is to become a professional football player, soccer player. That wasn't that wasn't a destiny for me, but I got a job offer in the summer of 2015 to go to China as a football coach, as a soccer coach. And I said, I didn't even look at the terms. I just signed it. I signed it. I went there. I was a football coach for two years. So they officially, they provided me with a with a visa, with an apartment, with a job and all that. Living the life, being being I saw I saw that as an opportunity to get paid to get in shape. <laughs> you know, to, 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 for me, I didn't I didn't see that as a job because football is my passion, you know. I can spend days watching football on TV, even forgetting going to, having the need to go to to, to, to eat. Yeah. So when you offer me to go play, to, to go teach these kids, share my love of the beautiful game, which is the nickname for football in China. I just jumped at it. The money wasn't big, but I didn't go for the money. I went for the experience. Yeah. So I did two years as a football coach, and then I started building a business around, in China around football, and then I got into e-commerce, and I did a lot of other things, but uh, that's the gist of it. Again, at the time, I was 34, 35, so I spent four years in China, and then after the year in Hong Kong, and there's more to it. We can unpack that later on, but... Yeah, yeah. So cool. So you used four languages, I think? I heard six, six, six languages. languages. So we've got uh, French, uh, French English. Is, Go ahead. So French is my first language. I speak uh, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Persian, and I also speak some 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 English too. I need to improve on that. So, <laughs> okay. English is my third or fourth language, something like that. So, are you when you get the job offer to go uh, teach kids soccer in China? Are you a coach of kids in the u.s or are you in canada no in canada. absolutely not no, no absolutely not i will tell you the genesis of it uh before that i was working in the oil fields in canada and western canada alberta 
So when the price of oil collapsed, I got laid off, went back to Canada. I tried to get back in the corporate world wearing a uh, suit and tie. I lasted three weeks. It wasn't for me. And I, I asked myself, what can I do with my life? I don't want to go back to corporate. One thing I understood very early is the tremendous power of questions. And the, the right question can completely change the direction of, of, your, of your life. A friend of mine from Canada, I knew, he introduced me to a recruiter to go to China as an English teacher. I said, I don't want to go an English teacher. But he said, just, just go have a talk with him. I said, okay, we had a, we had a call on, on Skype. Back then, it was no Zoom. It's on Skype. We were just chatting, getting to know each other. And he asked me one question that changed the course of my life. Literally, he said, we talked about passion, football and passion. I said, hey, can you coach football? I said, absolutely. I would love to. He said, okay. Would you like to come uh, coach as a football, be a football coach in China? I said, oh, I would love to. I didn't think anything of it because I thought it was just part of just chatting. And the guy said, okay, let me see what I can do. And I swear to you, Misha, 24 hours later, I had a job offer in my email inbox. <laughs> and I signed it so fast before the guy even changed his mind. I said, oh, sorry, that's a mistake. I had no credential as a football coach, but I played football for all my life. I played up to a decent level in France, up to under, under 15 nationals. I was very fast forward. So I knew the game and I've been watching the football, the game for, for as long as I was literally born with a football, you know, so. And Natural. absolutely, it's, 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 it's in you, just like boys that play basketball or baseball or football or hockey, whatever. It's a passion. They have it in them. And me going and sharing my passion, my love with kids and schools, I said, hey, that's a made in heaven. Let's do it. What was your number one takeaway from being uh, a, uh, a soccer coach to Chinese kids for two years in China? Patience. Mm. Patience both toward the kids and also towards the, the, the teachers. I will, I will never forget. The first day I went, well, the first week after I got settled in apartment, I went to, to meet the principal. He, he took me to, to introduce me to other teachers and, and, and watch some of the trainings of students with other teachers. There was a translator who said, oh, I want my kids to play like Barcelona. Barcelona back then were the best team in the world with Messi. I said, okay, sounds good. That's a, that's a, that's a very uh, you know, beautiful goal to, 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 to strike for. And when I looked at the kid, with all respect due to them, I'm talking like grade seven to eight to nine. They could barely even run. Forget about controlling the ball. So that's going to be a tough challenge. Kids that can barely run, they were like learning like, like penguins and all that. You know? <laughs> Seriously, no coordination. Again, with all respect due, but you know, it is what it is. So that's going to be a tough one. So I had to really start from the beginning, from the basics. There was this requirement of the principal to have his kids play like Barcelona, which, Barcelona, which is all about possession, pass, 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 fast, pass, passing, fast movements, beautiful yeah. tricks. Say, well, that's pretty hard. You know, you're talking about the best team in the world. These are professionals being paid millions. You know, it's going to be yeah. tough for kids. So, okay, let's see what we can do, what kind of material we have at our disposal. And again, it was very frustrating. Also, I didn't speak Chinese. I didn't have a translator. I had a translator for the first two, two sessions, but then I had to do everything myself. I had to show everything. And then a lot of frustrations. I learned to be patient like there's no tomorrow. And you can't lose your, your cool when you're dealing with kids, especially of a completely different culture, language. I learned that hard and fast way. That was a beautiful, again, remember what we told, we talked about earlier this morning on when you were on my podcast? What is this trying to teach me? What is the lesson for me to learn to that? It was very frustrating, but when I stepped back, I learned, hey, I need to be patient. Not only with your kids, but also there's a massive cultural and uh, language barrier. Yeah, the school is doing what they can, the best they can. They'd love to provide me with a with a with a with a translator, but hey, maybe they don't have the budget for it. So I need to be understanding. Yeah. So, do you um any um anything you carry forward from that experience that that two years into what you do now as a, as a pod a podcast coach or with your podcast academy teaching people how to how to start podcasts, how to monetize their podcasts, build those relationships. Again, patience, understanding. And these are the two big ones, being understanding, being patient, putting yourself in their shoes. That applies to anything. And your personal life, friendships, relationship, being um, have empathy, being be, put yourself in a position that you can only make the person be seen and heard 
That's very important. These are things that I learned there because, again, when you're teaching, you know, in China, the culture is you never criticize someone in public because you make them. And in Asian culture, it's not in Chinese Asian culture. Losing face is incredibly painful. Nobody wants to go that. And that's why in Asia, when you ask someone a question, they will never say no mm. because they don't want to lose face. They don't want to look like being incompetent, incapable, whatever. Even if they have no idea, they'll say, yes, yes, sure, sure. But again, being empathic, knowing about that, the cultural understanding, you know, and not criticizing people openly, you know, being careful what you say, how you convey your message. You know, one thing I learned in life is that if, and I was having this conversation yesterday with a with a gentleman from Toronto on the podcast after the call, said, if you if you take a, a, a whiteboard, you map out the different phase of your life, say at 15, at 20, at 25 and all that, what you were doing at each age, they were completely unrelated, but each of them prepared you, taught you the lessons you needed to learn to get to the next phase. Even you, for example, if you look at, if you map out, for example, you have a board behind you. If you, if you map out the main phase of your life, they completely, maybe completely unrelated. But if you look at them and ask, what did that teach me? What, what, what are the lessons that those taught me or that I learned? Each of those prepared you for the next one. And what you're doing now at this time, at this point in time, Misha is preparing you for your next, next chapter. So when I learned that, I saw that back then I didn't know it, but now I'm looking retroactively. I can see that. What I learned back then, being patient, compassionate, understanding, that was the first step for me to really opening up. To really being more understood. I thought I was caring. I thought I was because I'm art centered. I'm, you know, I can empathize with people, but oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> Took a bunch of uh Chinese youth teaching them how to play soccer. <laughs> we can barely run. You can barely run. Oh my gosh. What 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 is the the biggest difference between and let's look at this uh chinese kids uh if i'm allowed to say it that way canadian kids because you're canadian u.s kids so uh maybe like what's the what was the most striking difference you saw between the canadian youth and chinese youth that you interacted with in what way um i'm thinking um i mean there's this illusion or this idea, I think that the Chinese youth are driven. Their their success is the only option, and there's no latitude or flexibility within that, right? Is and would you say that that's true? Or yes, we have it so easy in the West compared to China, because in and in, in the U.S., Canada, Western world, you're in a classroom with say 30, 40 other kids, and China in a class with two hundred other kids. In China, everything is multiplied by 10 because when you're competing with 1.5 billion people, and that's the official number, probably 2 billion people, anything is an incredibly fierce competition. I saw the students, they were going, they were waking up at six o'clock, they have pre-classes and then they go to school. And then after school, they go to, they go to, uh, you know, other classes to learn other skills, to, to prepare them for the next stage, next, next, uh, uh, you know, to pass exam, they, they love exam. They love to do anything they need to pass an exam. The competition is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly fierce. To 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 to, to succeed in China, you have to be really. You have to. What's the word that I'm looking for? You have to be really. Um, it's a very cutthroat, beyond what you can imagine in the, in the West and the U.S. It's really almost like there's a word that is skipping me right now. Ah. Uh, Anyways, I'd come back after, but it's yeah. incredibly, incredibly, incredibly competitive. We have it so easy here compared to there. Because also there's a one-child policy. You know, back in the West and Canada and the US, if you have a corporate career or, or business, you have a retirement savings plan. In China, they don't have that. Your retirement literally is your kids. You take care of your kids when they're young, and I hope that when you're retiring, they will take care of you. So you see how they... Parents literally worship their kids because they know, hey, this is my retirement. Literally. Literally. Yes. So when you realize that, so wow, you know, it's it's like, uh, it's incredible. Incredible. I would say the Chinese kids are much, much, much tougher, much more resilient because again, it's literally dog eat dogs over there. Literally. 
Mm. When you're competing with me and you growing up, or even when you're applying for a job, whatever, in a class, maybe you have 30, 50, 60 other students. In China, it's 200. You want to apply for a job in Canada and the U.S., maybe with 100 applicants. In China, 10,000 applicants for the same position. Imagine being only one or two positions for 10,000, 20,000 people. Imagine the stress. Wow. And and when you spend it, when you go to those tests, depending on results, you go to specific high schools, and then those high schools open up the doors to specific universities. That literally dictates your life, where you're going to end up, and, and, and the level of success you will reach. It's not like back in the Western world, we can. it's up to you if you can make it. You, you work you work hard. You can make yourself a name for yourself if you, need, if, if you don't have a degree. But in China, no. It's slowly changing, but... Boy, it's incredibly fierce, incredibly competitive, cutthroat, and uh, yeah, you really have to be tough. Did did you? Would you say as a whole, just generalizing, would you say that uh, Chinese kids were happier, less happier than Western kids, American Canadian kids? They're happy because happiness is very subjective. But what I did realize is that they're under incredible pressure, incredible pressure, expectations from family, from society, from school. They have to be able to, from a very early age, they have to learn, learn, learn. They basically have no time to breathe. They have no youth. They don't have the the luxury of, as kids growing up, we go, for example, skating, bicycle, biking or whatever, playing video games. The kids in China don't have the time for that. Produce, produce, produce. Learn, exactly. Learn. Uh, it's incredibly uh, stressful. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what was your question again? <laughs> oh no, I was just curious. Yeah, uh, I, I was curious if you thought like setting, you know, uh, you know, American kids or Western kids versus Chinese kids, Eastern kids are the are the are the Chinese kids happy oh, as a whole or yeah? If if you if you label happiness in a way to to make their parents happy yes yeah but if you talk about internal happiness absolutely not because they're dreading it if each day you're waking up even as a kid like five six, no maybe not five say eight nine ten years old you know what a long day is gonna be you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna be in school you go to school at six o'clock school start at 7 30 yeah until four o'clock and four o'clock you get maybe one hour break and you have to go to to a training center to learn English, to learn whatever you're trying to learn, to work on your on your weaknesses, private classes. You're basically home at 10 o'clock. Mm. And then you have this mountain of homework. Mm. Basically, you're going to bed maybe at 1 o'clock and wake up at 6 o'clock again. And there's probably a percentage of the kids that love that and thrive in it, but there's going to be a good percentage that sure. would rather be playing with sure. Legos or, or digging yeah. in the dirt or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's crazy yeah yeah so uh you started an online business to do with football so you teach the kids and that contract winds down and you're inspired to no actually i was i was a football coach like in person working in schools uh, and then also on the side you know i was also doing teachings i was teaching also on the side english at every level from kindergarten to University teaching the doctors, nurses, business English, as well as French, Spanish, business, as well as uh, football classes. I was teaching a lot of things. I was enjoying it. I was loving it. And also, I tried to build a business around football. Like me and my back at the time, uh, business partner is is French. Also, very connected in the world of professional football, 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 uh, and we were trying to to bring professional football clubs from Europe and South America to China to um, to grow their brands and to open academies, take kids from China to summer camps in Europe and South America. So we were doing some very big stuff, but that's a completely different story. We can do an entire podcast on that. Uh, I did that for two years, running around the country, the, the last two years I was in China, and um, whining and dining, all meeting some incredibly powerful people, incredibly ridiculously wealthy people in China uh and the Chinese are incredibly incredibly generous you know uh when you go to they teach you to to a restaurant they basically bring everything on the menu for you you know <laughs> and, and even if it's just me why are you wasting it no 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 just okay just whatever incredibly generous incredibly kind 
Something funny with the Chinese. When you do business with Chinese, especially in China, you never talk about business right away. They want to get to know you. And one of the tests they, they put you through is they want to get you drunk and not drunk with good out. They have a Chinese uh, liquor that's called Baijiu. It's the worst thing you can imagine. It's awful. Sorry, my Chinese friend, please don't get on me, but uh, I love it. It's very strong, like 50, 60% alcohol. It's white. It's really remember those those commercials from the nineties from uh, this massive uh, uh, you know pharmaceutical company called Buckley's. Yeah, they said it, their slogan was very simple: "Tastes awful, but it works." <laughs> that was the slogan. That's exactly it. <laughs> it's awful, but, <laughs> but it works. <laughs> it gets you drunk like there's no. Oh it's like, like Everclear. <laughs> it gives you the worst, uh, you know, um, hangover. You can imagine. So Chinese Great love to get you drunk. Okay. To really test you as a man, or as a, mostly as a man. And once they see how we can handle drinks, drinking, man, they will open up business. Mm. And they will treat you to a restaurant, to entertainment. Kind of entertainment that probably would not be PG-13 to mention here, but uh, you can. <laughs> hey. nothing, nothing is off the record. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is off the record. Whatever um, you want, you get it. Just name it. <laughs> so, so are you having fun? Kind of. Oh yeah, doing this I love it. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love my time in China. I wish I could go back. I can't wait to go back. This, I still have amazing friendships there, friends. And China is a phenomenal country. I'm talking about the cu the culture of the country. I'm not talking about the government. That's a completely different story. That's the same for every yes. country in the world. Yes, the people are some of the nicest you can imagine, especially once they get you get them, they get to know you incredibly friendly, incredibly generous, kind, very driven, incredibly smart. How are you communicating with everybody? Are you learning Mandarin or you have or they I tried speaking? and I thought yeah. I was I thought I was good with language because I speak six languages. Only two I learned in school are English and French. The rest I learned by myself without taking a single class. Uh, but Chinese is a completely different ballgame. So what I was doing. I was I was just I had the translator app on my phone. I would just translate and say put it in Chinese in front of them because me and you as Westerners, if you have a non-Asian face, you talk to a Chinese in China, in Chinese, they will freeze. Because most of the people are not used to seeing foreign Westerners or non-Asian people, non-Asian Chinese people to speak the language, even if you say it perfectly. Yeah. They say, huh? Huh? Say, what doesn't do you mean? make what sense. Do you mean? The picture doesn't fit. They freeze. They freeze. Yeah, you have to repeat five, six times, and then when you finally show the, the 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 characters of what you just want to say, they repeat the exact same thing back to you, and it was incredibly painful. Sorry, no, frustrating at first because hey, this is exactly what I've been trying to tell you for the past five minutes. <laughs> so this another way for you to test you and to really teach you to be patient. Sorry, to be patient, incredibly yeah. patient. Even you go to a restaurant ordering something as simple as whatever. If you, as a Westerner, you say it, they will look at you. Uh, 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 uh. What, 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 what? And then you show it in, in the character. Or if you have a Chinese friend beside you, say the exact same thing, the exact same intonation, they understand right away. Mm. It can be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So I, I guess th there's some whole. So you, you, um, we're in China for two years. Before that, you were, uh, you said I was something in China about for four years. Four, four years. years. In China. You worked on oil rigs. Were you like, like, uh, what do we call that? Uh, redneck. Yeah. Roughneck. No. Yeah. Roughneck. I worked in Alberta and Western Canada. Uh, and, uh, I was a, a, uh, do you know what's NDT? Non, non, non-destructive testing. <laughs> no. So basically it's, it's a, it's a welder's inspector. You know, we were mm. x-raying pipelines and these are pipelines okay. that are carrying gas and oil. So what we do when the, while it does its job, we will scan it. We will take a camera with a retro radioactive material to scan it. Just like you go to, a, you have a broken arms, you go to the doctor to scan you to say nothing's yes. broken. We did exactly yes. the same thing with a camera that, literally camera that was containing radioactive material. So you have to be very careful. It exposes it and all that. And uh, it was fun. It was really fun. So I did that for two and a half years. It was fun in the sense that you were working with literally redneck. Most of the time, they were just playing country music. That's when <laughs> I started to learn to love country music. And when you work in that environment, you can speak your mind freely. Yeah. <laughs> filtering. 
And this is why when I get back to when I went back to corporate world, I couldn't last because it was always I had to work on eggshells. Yes. But over there, you just speak your mind. Just man, you just you just be a man, be uh, and a manly, even sometimes macho. But hey, that's expect. If you don't, you're not gonna last long in that environment. Yeah. What were the what were the um <clears throat> the other places that you've lived for let's say oh. more than two or three years? So we've got Canada, obviously, where you. So were. I was. I will tell you. Okay, so I was yeah. born. You will not. You probably won't. Uh, I was surprised of you. I was born in Afghanistan. Oh. Okay. My father was one of the first people in Afghanistan back in the 60s to get a full scholarship to study both for his undergrad and postgrad in France. He was an archaeologist, geologist. So in 79, when the Soviets invaded, I wasn't born. You know, communists, they don't like intellectuals. But thankfully for us, my father at the time was working in France. That was literally our opportunity to save our lives. And I wrote about that in my first book, How We Left Afghanistan. That alone is, is worthy of a book. We can do an entire episode on that. But then, so born in Afghanistan, I was four years old when we left. Spent a year in Pakistan trying to get uh, out of this. So, and then when I was four or five, we went to France. So from time I was France to 14 in France. And then 14, my family moved to Canada. And then as soon as I could on my own, first place I went was Brazil. Uh, fell in love with the country, the place, almost get married. And then uh, after Brazil... Uh, you know, back in 2007, I was supposed to go to law school. Everything was ready. But then a book changed the trajectory of my life, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I ended up not sending my application to law school to the dismay and horror of my parents. And I started my first online business. And that took me around the world. Uh, Thailand, Philippines, Argentina, Brazil. Um, what else? Uh, China as a football coach. Uh, Hong Kong for a year. Uh, I've been the past six years, six months. The the big chunk of this year, I spent it in Malaysia. The picture you see behind me, that's the swimming pool of the place I building I stayed for the last six months in Malaysia. I absolutely love Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, and now I've been here in in uh, Vietnam for the past. It's been a month exactly. So uh, I'm a slow traveler. I don't like to do to to to, to cram say ten countries in five days. That's not me. I'd rather do six months in a country to really immerse myself and get to know the people and all that. So I've been in a few places, not counting, of course, the the place I've visited. Yeah, but I absolutely love this. I love the world. You know, the more you travel, the more you realize the world is so beautiful. Especially nowadays, another massive topic that I'm very passionate about is is called geographical arbitrage. Have you heard of that? Geo arbitrage. Go ahead. So you earn money in a strong currency, like say U.S. dollars, pounds, euro, Japanese yen, or Canadian dollar, whatever. And then you live in a country where the currency goes so much farther. Yeah. It's not just about saving money. Sure, that helps. But ultimately, it's about drastically elevating the quality of your lifestyle. For example, when I was in Canada, I left Canada on November 1st, traveled, went to Italy, Thailand, um, Portugal, uh, Turkey, Greece, went back home in, 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 in the spring and April, skipped the winter. I spent two months in Canada. Man, things are crazy expensive. Like incredibly, I was spending four to five thousand dollars a month, mind you, Canadian dollars, which is still three to four thousand US, without leaving the house. And I was lucky; I was living with family, so I didn't have a mortgage or anything. Still, I was helping, contributing, but still, four thousand, five thousand dollars without leaving the house, just basically covering basic expenses, uh, basic groceries. Forget about eating out, the socials, or nothing. Say, so why? Why do I have to spend all this money just to survive? It doesn't make any sense. Whereas I can live, for example, in Malaysia, the place behind me. I was living my best life on $2,000 all in, eating out. And money was never an issue. I can do whatever I wanted to. Like the place, the building I'm showing behind me, it's a beautiful uh, luxury condo in the heart of Kuala Lumpur. You see the Twin Towers behind me, the Petronas yep. Towers, the, uh, the, 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 the postcard of Malaysia, just like the Eiffel Tower is for France. This is from Malaysia. It's a 10-minute walk from me. Across the street, there is a uh, massive shopping center, amazing food selection. All of that, and I was staying at a one-bedroom, fully furnished condo for eight fifty US a month on Airbnb. Utilities included, once a week or twice a week, maid service, and that's on Airbnb. If I were to, to sign a one-year lease, it would be four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. Wow! Right now in Vietnam, I'm staying in downtown, ten-minute walk from the beach. Very nice, spacious uh, uh, studio, two hundred eighty-seven dollars a month US. Wow! 
at the, the ATM machine here in, in Vietnam has a limit of 3 million dong that you can withdraw per transaction. 3 million dongs is 121 US dollars. <laughs> That's <laughs> enough for me to cover all my, my, my meals outside and drinks for anywhere between 7 to 10 days. Get out of here. I'm not kidding. Again, it's not about saving a buck. Sure, that helps. But yeah. it's about drastically elevating quality of your lifestyle. For example, in the US and Canada, it's very expensive. You have to produce at least at least five to six thousand dollars after tax. So yes. for you to generate that, you need to, to produce double of that. So imagine the stress. You have to produce each month ten thousand dollars. Half yeah. of it goes to the government before you even see it. Taxes. And the rest, forget about it. You know, a room in a shared house in Toronto is fifteen to eighteen hundred dollars. I'm talking a basement in, in the hood. Yeah. Uh a studio is twenty five hundred. A one bedroom is three thousand. Two bedroom is almost four thousand dollars. It doesn't compute. It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't eat at McDonald's, but just to give you an idea, the Big Mac combo with no cheese is sixteen dollars. With cheese is eighteen dollars. A basic meal at a basic restaurant with a bottle of water for lunch is thirty dollars per person. And plus, you have to add an extra fifteen to twenty five percent tip just to pick up your food at the end that you cannot even. <laughs> not accept so it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a racket <laughs> oh my gosh so here oh. listen yeah. here i'm living i haven't counted before to count i've been for, for a month uh, a month now i spend maybe 800 canadian that's about 600 us for an entire month just for me and toronto uh, 600 each time and i hate that each time you go to costco Four or five hundred dollars, just like that. Just like that. So again, it's not just about saving a buck. Sure, that helps. Yeah. But it's about drastically elevating the quality of your lifestyle. When you don't have to be yeah. put yourself to a pressure to to generate ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Your life, you know, stress is removed from your life. You can really focus on what really makes your heart sing. And plus, people are incredibly friendly. Sure, there's a massive cultural and language barrier, but hey. They're very friendly. They will do uh, an effort to understand you. Plus now with Google Translate and all that, then they have apps. They speak in Vietnamese. It shows it, it speaks it to you in, in English or whatever language, or they write it in Vietnamese and translate it in English. There's ways to get around it. Oh, cell phone. In Toronto, my cell phone bill alone was $65 for 20 GB of data. Here I'm paying, in Malaysia, I was paying 10 US dollars on a month to month as a tourist for um, 40, 40 GB. Here in, in uh, uh, 10 US dollars. Here in uh, Vietnam, I get 6 GB a day. So 180 GB a month for like uh, 160,000 dong. That's that's about $6, $7. Yeah. And that's a tourist. Imagine if you were to pay to, to get a one-year contract, a long-term deal. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is what I mean by Joe arbitrage. Listen, guys, anyone lis listening here? With today's technology, you don't. It's never been easier to live abroad, to drastically reduce your cost of living, and drastically elevate the quality of your life. As long as you can generate, if you're a person, single person, two thousand dollars a month online, you can live very nicely. If you have a family and kids, make that three, four, five thousand. Five thousand dollars in US and Canada is not going to get you anywhere, especially in big cities. But in here, you're living it up. You're living it up, brother. That's amazing. I'm we gonna, can have a talk after that uh, offline, but I'm going to seriously, this is one thing that really gets me so excited yeah. to inspire people, to make them open their eyes to this whole big world out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is amazing. Um, we'll have a round two and we'll talk more about travel, more about what you do, but I, I, have, stop, to be, yeah. I have to be cognizant of time. It's been an incredibly long day for me. Sure. Um, just quick, maybe take a couple minutes. And so I know we we touched on it a little bit at the beginning about uh, how you help people podcast and and start their podcasts, how to grow a business around that. Um, and obviously, they can do it from anywhere. Um, but uh, where can people find you quick if they want to dive into that? Um, and then best way to look and to find me is on my Facebook. Uh, I can send the. Um... A Facebook page to you. You can share it in the show notes. If you want to find out about uh, my academy, that's uh, my website. It's called leaderswithavoice.com. Leaderswithavoice.com. And um, 
I'd be happy to get on a on a quick meet and greet. It's not a discovery call. It's not a sales call. It's just meet and greet to literally get to know each other and to see brainstorm and see how podcasting can be leveraged for your specific business and, and open your eyes to how you can leverage. Because what is podcasting? Podcasting allows you to do three important things. One, share your story, allow your audience to know who you are as a person, as human being at the soul level. Number two, display your expertise. So you can really show, hey, I know what I'm talking about. And number three, because of that, because of you being vulnerable, being, you know, transparent and sharing your story and displaying expertise, it's going to automatically attract magnetically your ideal prospects and clients with no spamming, no cold calling, no uh, ad spend, even if you have no existing audience to start with. Because when I started, I had absolutely nothing, no one, not even my, my siblings were following me, just to tell you, you know, not even them. I had nobody that followed me. But again, it's not about the numbers. It's about the relationship you build with the people. And podcasting is the best way to do so because, again, you get to know the person, especially if you do it the right way, the way that I'm teaching. Podcasting can be completely transformational and life-changing if you do it that way. Number one, identify your exact ideal client. Again, we know it. Clarity is the name of the game. Don't try to help everybody with all of issues because that's something that only God can do. And me and you, Misha, as much as we like it, we're not God. Instead, focus on one very specific person with one very specific pain point. It's what we do in my academy. And then once you have to find that out, identify where they hang out and then invite them. For example, let's say me and you, we didn't know each other. If I were to send you a message on Facebook call, say, hey, Misha, I'd like to see how I can help you with your podcast. Three things would happen. No answer. Not interested. Sorry, I'll leave someone else resulting in less than 1%. And that's what 99% of people are doing. Oh, we froze. You froze. Let me hit pause. Okay, so yeah, so this is why 90%, what 90% of people are doing business as, and that's not a fun way to do business because your account is going to end up getting shut down and you're going to run out of people to talk to. People are going to start ignoring you. But what if you were to invite them? And this is one powerful principle that I learned that applies to anything, business, friendships, relationships, family, anything. And if there's one thing I want you or your audience to, to remember is this, never put yourself in a position to ask, beg, or chase. Instead, invite. If I were to say, hey, Misha, my name is Payman. I'm the host of the Leads Podcast. I love what you're doing, and I would love to have you come share your story. The only question would have left is, oh, absolutely, just say when. As opposed to, hey, Misha, my name is Payman. I'd like to see how I can help you with the podcast and monetize it. Yeah, next. Especially if you don't know me. If you know yeah. me, maybe you'll be open to a, to a conversation. But if you don't know me, next. Because I know you you are you are being approached all day long by people sending a friend request. And from the first message, they start pitching you. I don't even respond to those. At first, I used to respond, say, hey, you want to do business with me? Get to know me. Let's get on a quick meet and greet call. And most of those guys, they were not even bother responding. Because they don't care. They're just spamming. Just the equivalent of uh, dial and smile. Before now, it's spam, spam, spam. Uh, sp smile and spam. You know what I mean? So yeah. So this is the, uh, yeah, this is the, the takeaway. And whatever you do, whether it's a podcast, book, or even in person, always speak from the heart. Don't speak from a script. Don't try to regurgitate, you know, sales script or sales, uh, you know, lines or God forbid, pick up lines in the, in the attraction industry, whatnot. It's not about that. Connect heart to heart. Don't even speak from here. Speak from here. That's what the magic is. And that's my that's my tip for you guys. And that's why I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> Payment. This has been amazing. So much fun. I love it. Um, great takeaways. Uh, love the, the geo arbitrage. Uh, so good. Mm -hmm. So we can do an entire episode on that because that's something phenomenal that I'm very passionate about it. I saw the light way back in 2007 and 2008. And once you get a taste of that life, seriously, there's no back, there's no turning back. Yeah. And what experiences you get to have along with it, right? So really open your eyes and embrace new cultures and just yeah. experience all that. I want to be very, very, very rich in experiences. Yeah. That's something nobody can take away from you. Yeah. That's and you right. get to keep those with you to the next life. That's Unlike right. Material uh, or money in the bank or asset. No, the only asset you have is your time, your health, and your memories, experiences, and lessons, and wisdom, and, and gifts. Yeah, that's good. Fantastic. All right. Um, 
let's get back to me to my night. I'm going to go have a late dinner. You are going to go to your day. Your birthday is just happened or happening. And so I know we have lots of festivities around that and payment has been a ton of fun. And I look forward to round two. Pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you once again for inviting me. Absolute blast. Can we talk into you again? I'm looking for part two and for you in my podcast. Remember what I told you earlier, the person you need to interview, I'm not going to name her, but you know who that is. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, this is fun. I'm excited and excited to see what life has in store for us. And I can't wait to see what we can cook up together. What kind of magic we can co-create. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Table Rush Talk Show. For resources to help you sell your stuff, go to B-E-L-O-V-E dot media forward slash resources. That's B-Love dot media forward slash resources. And be sure to subscribe, comment, five star and share. Thank you again for listening.